0: The following sermon audio is from Love City Church, Cincinnati. More audio and information about Love City Church can be found at www.mylovecitychurch.org. If you would, please turn to the book of Acts. We'll be in chapter 16, starting in verse 22 together. So what we're doing is starting an eight-week sermon series tonight. It's called The Disciples' Path. And in some ways, each person's journey with Jesus is going to be unique. However, the Bible teaches that there's a path that every person who wants to follow Jesus must walk. And and this is such a prominent truth that in the early days of Christianity, uh, it was referred to as the way. And so that kind of tells you that this was an understood principle. In this series, we're going to lay out what it looks like for people to follow Jesus because they've trusted him by faith, receiving the free gift of grace that only he can offer. Now, I know that I'm talking to several different types of people. Some of you uh, may have yet to set one foot on this path. Know that you have been invited by God to do so. And you are welcome here with us as you determine if you will. Some of you have begun down this path, and you're still in the process of walking out these elements of following Jesus. And so this series will help you to get your bearings. Some of you have been walking this path a long time, but we know there is no end on this side of eternity. This path circles back around, and you're meant to then help others walk down it. And so this series will help you to effectively help others learn what they are called to do as followers of Jesus. Praise God for all of that. Maybe you've heard of the Appalachian Trail. It is the longest hiking only footpath in the world. It runs from Georgia to Maine. It's just over 2,000 miles. Every year, thousands of people attempt to hike it all the way through. About one in four make it. Uh, which is understandable because it takes five to seven months to do it if you do it straight. So that's a long haul. Um, I'd like to think I was in shape to do that, but probably not. Uh, Actually, though, when I was a kid, I did know a guy who he did the whole thing like many times. Um, He called himself Brownie. I don't really know what his real name was. Uh, And he was like a 50-50 mix between Bob Ross and Bear Grylls. Uh, This is is real. I mean, he was tough enough to be out there in the woods and could handle himself, you know, as as good as anybody else. But I distinctly remember, and this is true, him having a chipmunk in his shirt pocket and like talking to it real affectionately from time to time. And so I don't know who this guy was at really, just a guy that lived in the little town I lived in. But yeah, he had a lot of Appalachian trail uh, trail stories and pictures. And so I know it can be done, um, you know, especially if you've got two guys like like that that are comprising your (laughs) character makeup. That's a big deal. So at the beginning of the trail on the Georgia side, a lot of people go from south to north. On the Georgia side, there is a stone arch that starts the Appalachian Trail. And it represents the fact that you have entered the trail, okay? So for those who seek to walk the path of a disciple who follows Jesus, that stone arch is called salvation. That is the first step. Many people have seen something in the teachings or actions of Jesus that they found attractive, and they'll try to emulate or imitate those pieces, almost like choosing what you like from a buffet. And this is how many people will answer when asked about eternity or where they stand with God. They'll say, well, I'm a good person. But Jesus said this in John 10, verse 9. He said, I am the door. If anyone enters through me, he will be saved. He didn't give any alternate routes. The first step on the path of truly following Jesus is salvation. And so tonight, we're going to look at what salvation is, why we need it, how we get it, and what we are saved to, okay? And this could be probably a sermon series in itself, and I'm going to try to do this in a half hour because we're taping these to use them for discipleship classes later on. So let's ride, okay? First, uh, let's read Acts 16, verses 22 through 34, okay? Here we go. The crowd rose up together against them, and the chief magistrates tore their robes off them and proceeded to order them to be beaten with rods. Okay? Uh, who are we beaten? We're beating Paul. Here, who is ticking off... uh, Paul and Silas, they're they're ticking off the religious officials again, okay? So, when they had struck them with many blows, they threw them into prison, commanding the jailer to guard them securely. And he, having received such a command, threw them into the inner prison and fastened their feet in the stocks. But about midnight, Paul and Silas were praying and singing hymns of praise to God, and the prisoners were listening to them. And suddenly there came a great earthquake, so that the foundations of the prison house were shaken, and immediately all the doors were opened And everyone's chains were unfastened. When the jailer awoke and saw the prison doors open, he drew his sword and was about to kill himself, supposing that the prisoners had escaped. But Paul cried out with a loud voice saying, do not harm yourself for we are all here. And he called for lights and rushed in and trembling with fear, he fell down before Paul and Silas. And after he brought them out, he said, sirs, what must I do to be saved? They said, believe in the Lord Jesus and you will be saved, you and your household. And they spoke the word of the Lord to him, together with all who were in his house. And he took them that very hour of the night and washed their wounds, and immediately he was baptized, he and all his household. And he brought them into his house and set food before them and rejoiced greatly, having believed in God with his whole household. Praise God for his word. So the first question we're going to answer is, what is salvation? So to be clear, we are talking about salvation in a specific sense. The word can be used to describe uh, deliverance from some danger in a in a general sense, but we want to talk about what the Bible means when it says we need to be saved. And part of the problem is if you listen to a lot of teaching today, you may get the impression that Jesus offers salvation from whatever bums you out about your life. Many times the things that bum you out about your life, they are the result of sin, either yours or somebody else's and so the path of salvation it can lead to healing of those things as well but that is not primary that's not first what's going on salvation is primarily us being rescued from the wrath of God that doesn't play well in most 2019 settings but let me read you something from the word of God this is Romans 5 verses 6 6 through 11 for while we were still helpless, at the right time Christ died for the ungodly. For one will hardly die for a righteous man, though perhaps for the good man someone would dare even to die. But God demonstrates his own love toward us in that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. Much more than having now been justified by his blood, we shall be saved from the wrath of God through him. Saved from what? For if while we were enemies, we were reconciled to God through the death of his son, much more having been reconciled, we shall be saved by his life. And not only this, but we also exalt in God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we have now received the reconciliation. So God is saving us from God's wrath. Yes. Yes, that's right. And this leads us to why we need salvation. This leads us right into answering the next question. Why do we need salvation? Everything, everything Jesus said okay, should get our attention, but I'm about to read you something that should make your head tilt like a cocker spaniel when someone's blowing a dog whistle, okay? You know what I'm talking about? This should get your attention, all right? Let me read this to you. This is Matthew 5, verses 43 through 48. You've heard it. So here, we are told God is perfect. And because he is perfect, we are supposed to be perfect. Pop quiz, everybody. You ready? I want to hear a yes or a no from you. Are you perfect? No. Are you sure? Yes. Okay. We have a problem. The answer is no, none of us. So... One way to look at this, and many people do, is just to say, well, nobody's perfect. And so assume that that means, well, God's just going to love and accept everybody just like they are. Everybody gets a a universal hall pass. That's one way to approach it. It'd be a wrong way. Or the other option is we can take the words of Jesus seriously and understand we are not perfect, but God is. And that means if we want to be in relationship with him, we have to be perfect. And then as we process that, we should let the horror of that sink in as we realize that there is no way whatsoever that we can make ourselves perfect. (laughs) Then then what should happen is we should fall down in fear and trembling like that Philippian jailer and cry out, what must I do to be saved? You wonder why, why was he trembling in fear? (laughs) What did he realize? Well, he realized who he was stacked up against who God is. And that's the right response. What must I do to be saved? I need to be saved. I can't fix this. I get it. We need salvation because every single one of us has sinned against God. None of us is perfect and none of us can fix it. So let's answer the jailer's question. What must I do to be saved? I'm going to read verse 31 again. They said, believe in the Lord Jesus and you will be saved, you and your household. Wait, what? (laughs) That's it? The, The biggest problem humanity has ever faced is solved by just simply believing in Jesus? Yes. That's right. That's exactly what the Bible teaches. But let's... Dig in this a little bit. What do they mean when they say believe in Jesus? Do they mean believe that he existed? Or, or what exactly? What does, what does that mean? Believing that he existed is, is clearly not the whole deal. If we look at James 2:9, he says, You believe that there is one God? Oh, good. The demons also believe that and they shudder. Okay? And so simple belief, and, and many times when I'm encountering people trying to get a gauge of where they're at with Jesus. I can tell in the way they say it. Oh, I believe in Jesus. That's what they mean. They believe he existed. Well, that's, that's not what it means when Paul and Silas tell this Philippian jailer to believe in Jesus unto salvation. It's, there's, there is more to it than that. We are not called to only believe that Jesus existed. We're called to believe what he taught and did was true. And so what did he teach? What did he Well, in Mark chapter 1, we see the summary statement of the teaching and mission of Jesus. Okay, so this is verse 14 of Mark chapter 1. Now, after John had been taken into custody, Jesus came into Galilee, preaching the gospel of God and saying, The time was fulfilled. The kingdom of God is at hand. Repent and believe in the gospel. That is what Jesus taught. There's lots of things he said. He got more specific than that. But his broad overall mission can be boiled down to that right there. So what is this gospel that Jesus calls us to believe? Well, Paul spells it out very clearly for us in 1 Corinthians 15. I'll read you this. Now I make known to you, brethren, the gospel which I preached to you, which also you received, in which also you stand, by which also you are saved. If you hold fast the word which I preached to you, unless you believed in vain. For I delivered to you as of first importance what I also received, that Christ died for our sins according to the scriptures and that he was buried and that he was raised on the third day according to the scriptures. We must believe Christ died for our sins. This means we must believe in the reality of our own sinfulness and hopelessness apart from Christ. That's part of what it means to believe in Jesus, is to believe what he taught about us. Charles Spurgeon once said this in stark contrast to what many believe. He said, God helps those who cannot help themselves. You see, friends, it's not until we come to the realization that we cannot help ourselves that we're in a position to really receive the truth and the grace of the gospel. The publican and uh, the Pharisee and the tax collector, some translations will say publican, the the, uh, parable that Jesus taught there where the, the Pharisees very confident standing in the temple, very confident to pray prayers like, oh God, thank you so much that I'm not like this tax collector or all these other losers. Thank you that you've made me as holy and righteous as I am. The tax collector stands in the back, can't even look up. He beats his chest and just cries out to God saying, have mercy on me, I'm a sinner. Jesus said one man went home justified that day. And it wasn't the Pharisee. So what this means is that... uh, We need to believe Romans 6.23, which says the wages of sin is death, but the free gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus. This means that we need to believe that his death should have been ours, that we deserved it, and worse, we deserve to be separated from God for eternity thereafter. But instead of that, instead of getting what we deserve, Jesus rescued us by trading places with us. He got the punishment we deserved, and we got the righteousness he deserved. Martin Luther was fond of calling this the great exchange. It's a very appropriate way to describe it. We must also believe that when Jesus said in John chapter 2, destroy this temple and in three days, I'll raise it up again, he wasn't delusional and he wasn't trying to deceive anybody, but he was telling the truth. And after he was buried, three days later, he rose up from the grave. That's part of what it means to believe in Jesus. You see, we're still talking about that. What does it mean? What did Paul and Silas mean when the Philippian jailer said, what must I do to be saved? They said, believe in Jesus and you'll be saved, you and your household. Believing the gospel is what it means in Acts 16 to believe in Jesus. And Romans 1.16 says, the gospel is the power of God unto salvation for those who believe. Amen. So that's, What salvation is, that's why we need salvation. The next question is, what are we saved to? What are we saved to? As we continue in this series, we are going to unpack this question much more practically and specifically. For now, I want to answer it in a a little more of a conceptual way that hopefully will propel us Into joyful obedience as we get to the specifics moving forward. So I'm going to read you a passage from Romans 4. This is verses 1 through 5. What then shall we say that Abraham, our forefather, according to the flesh, has found? For if Abraham was justified by works, he has something to boast about, but not before God. For what does the scripture say? Abraham believed God and it was credited to him as righteousness. Now to the one who works, his wage is not credited as a favor, but as what is due. But to the one who does not work, but believes in him who justifies the ungodly, his faith is credited as righteousness. You see, friends, most of us think of salvation in terms of forgiveness. And and that is right. And that is correct. Salvation is forgiveness of our sin, which is glorious and wonderful, But it is so much more than that. We are not only forgiven, we are justified and made righteous before God. Forgiveness is like saying, you're free to go. Being justified and made righteous is like saying, you're free to come. And that makes a big difference. It's kind of like this. Imagine that there is a city called perfect. And it's a place where only perfect people lived. I told you you'd have to imagine. It's a place where only people, perfect people lived. It's, it's a perfect utopia where there was no sin. And in order to protect this place and keep it pristine, the law is if you sin, you die. Immediately, no exceptions. Okay? Let's imagine this place exists. Now, you know that it might not be a good idea. But curiosity and overconfidence gets the better of you, and you drive right into the middle of that city to see what it's all about. Why was that not a good idea? You shouldn't be in a place where you die if you're not perfect for any amount of time. You understand what I'm saying? Oh, you don't know that about yourself. Okay, that's cool. (laughs) Your blank stares are telling me that some of you are confused about how, how long you can keep the record perfect. That's okay. We'll keep working on it. So you drive right in the middle of the city. So my question for everyone that will be honest in here is how long is it before you get a death sentence? You have five minutes, 10 minutes, maybe an hour on a good day, right? It won't take long. Okay, so let's just say you're having a bad day. And so within five minutes, you break the no sin law. Okay, so they arrest you. They take you into their lethal injection chamber and they strap you in. But right before the needle hits your arm, the mayor of the perfect city bursts into the room and he says, unstrap them right now. But the perfect cops are in the room and they say, but mayor, this person broke the law and and there's no exceptions. This sin must be punished. And the mayor replies, listen, I know the law, but I'm also the mayor. This sin cannot go unpunished, but I'll take the punishment. So I order you to kill me instead. Now, This is as far as many of us think the gospel goes. This is forgiveness, which is already almost incomprehensible, right? That somebody would do that. They're going to take our punishment. But it is even more magnificent than that. The analogy continues. So he he tells them to let you go, strap him in, and then the mayor looks at you and says, here is my mayoral key to the city. You can now go everywhere I can go, and you can have all the access that I have as the mayor. This is what being justified and made righteous looks like. We are not just rescued from the consequences of our sins. We are given the status of our rescuer. And this is what we are saved to, and we should walk in light of it. To be saved from the punishment we deserve should cultivate a desire to serve and honor our Savior, but to be given the gift of his righteousness should make it impossible for us to do anything else but serve and honor our Savior. When we truly understand all God has done for us in saving us through Christ, our reaction should be similar to that of Peter when Jesus tried to wash his feet. We give Peter a hard time a lot because his foot was constantly in his mouth. But his reaction to Jesus washing his feet was actually proper, I would argue. He said, so Jesus gets up from the table, takes off his robe, wraps a towel around himself, and gets down, he's going to start washing the The master's going to wash the servant's feet. And this, for Peter, this will not stand. And so he says, no, Lord. I'm unworthy for you to wash my feet. Never. But when Jesus says to him, Peter, you, you have to allow me to do this. If, if you don't let me wash your feet, you can have no part of me. Well, then, of course, we remember Peter goes all the way to the other spectrum and says, well, then shower me. <laughs> you know, let's do the whole thing. Right? And that's, you know, that's kind of Peter. But. When he hears that if this doesn't happen, it's going to mean he can have no part of his master, he gets over very quickly how unworthy he knows he is, and he trusts what his master is telling him. Friends, here's what I'm saying. You will never experience true salvation if you believe you deserve it on your own. And you will never experience true salvation if you won't receive it as a free gift even if you know you don't deserve it. Salvation is forgiveness of sin. And salvation is being made righteous in God's sight. And all of that is only possible through believing in the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. May we be a people who receive salvation gratefully, And walk out our salvation humbly for God's glory and our good. Amen. Let's pray. Father, we come before you in the name of Jesus. We thank you for this great and glorious gift you've given us in salvation. Lord, we stand before you today saying, we know we need rescued. And God, we don't just need rescued once. (laughs) Lord, we need your rescue every day. Because God, we stumble back into foolishness in so many ways God, we need your guidance. We need your help. We need your power, Lord, just to navigate the brokenness of this world. But God, we acknowledge the reality and the beauty of your salvation. Lord, thank you that you've not just forgiven us. That, that, would have, that should elicit the response that Peter gave, just to know that someone who is perfect and did nothing to deserve the punishment wants to take my punishment. That should make me recoil, but for you to go even farther, and to give me all of the gifts that come along with your perfection. Lord, I can barely stand it. Lord, but please don't ever let us get to the point where this is a common thing to us. May we constantly remember the beauty and the majesty of being forgiven a debt, Lord, that we never could have paid back. And Lord, may we be enamored forever at the fact that you didn't stop there, but you bestowed upon us the status of justified and righteous in the sight of God. Thank you, Lord, Lord, Please help us, dear Jesus, to walk in light of these things. Lord, help us to view our world and the people around us through that lens. God, help us as we understand what greatest salvation has been bestowed upon us. Help us to be more gracious to others. God, may we reflect the beauty of the salvation you've poured out on us freely to every single person that we have in our sphere of influence as we walk throughout this life. Lord, help us to be faithful ambassadors of this great and glorious salvation. Help us, Lord, to show people how good our King is, that you would conduct yourself this way, that you would get humble and get low in order to save sinners like us. Lord, I ask that you would just continue to cultivate in us a a joy and a gratitude never-ending, ever-increasing as we think about the truth of these things. You are worthy, God, of our worship. You are worthy of our allegiance and our affection. We love you so much. Thank you, Lord, for saving us and making salvation possible. We love you so much, and we worship you alone. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Thank you for listening to audio from Love City Church, located in Cincinnati, Ohio.